Okay, good morning, everybody. Thank you for being here this morning. I'm going to invite you to actually stand up and greet everybody here in a second. But before you do, I'll tell you, we've got some guests here with us leading worship this morning. Uh, Wynn and Kathleen Griffith will be leading us in worship. We gave Jason a week off. Yeah, great. Thanks for being here. Kathleen is here. Wynn will be here at some point today. But um, if you don't know, Kathleen grew up in our church, and then uh, Wynn... um, is her husband, and they'll be leading us this week. We gave Jason a week off. Please continue to pray for Jason as he's trying to navigate some, a little bit of a health scare um, over the last month with uh, potential heart issues. So just pray for him as we try to figure out what's going on with, uh, with him. And uh, he's doing okay today. We just, he's resting at home. So um, stand up, greet somebody, say hello, and uh, then they'll lead us in worship. Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. It looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. My story isn't over, my story's just begun. Failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does. Yeah, failure won't define me, cause that's what my father does. down Ooh, here in the father's house check your shame at the door it ain't welcome anymore Ooh, you're in the father's Travel's not the end game, the journey's where you are. You never wanted perfect, you just wanted my heart. And the story isn't over, if the story isn't good. A failure's never final when the father's in the room. A failure's never final when the father's in the room. Check your shame at the door, cause it ain't welcome anymore. Ooh, you're in the Father's house. So the truth of the gospel means that a lot of other things are true about us. So this verse outlines those. Sing this out. 
Prodigals come home The helpless find hope Love is on the move When the Father's in the room Prison doors fling wide The dead come to life Love is on the move When the Father's in the room Miracles take place The cynical find faith Love is breaking through When the Father's in the room Jericho walls are quaking Strongholds now are shaking Love is breaking through When the Father's in the room Love is breaking through When the Father's in the room your shame at the door cause it ain't welcome anymore ooh you're in the Father's sing that again ooh lay your burdens down ooh you're in the Father's house check your shame at the door cause it ain't welcome anymore
Father God, how thankful we are that you are the prince of our soul and you do satisfy. We are so grateful like we are not like so many on this earth who are not happy and are not content and not at peace unless there are circumstances. But Father, we thank you that we trust in you. You are our hope. You are our firm foundation. You are the one that we rest in for our hearts and souls true rest for you tell us that all that come to you you will give rest all that are weary and heavy laden father we can roll that off onto you because before the mountains were born or even brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are our God and how thankful we are that nothing can change this fact so we give praise to your name forever and ever. For all wisdom and power are yours. You are the one who changed the times and the seasons. And Father, how thankful. We thankful for our eyesight this time of year to see the beauty, the marvelous wonder of the color that you didn't have to do. You could have created this world in black and white. But Father, we thank you and praise you that you give us the sense of sight to see your wonderful creation. And you set up the kings and you depose them and you give wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. So thank you, God. Thank you for all that you are and that you're, because of your amazing plan, we can know you. We can draw near to you. We can be your children. For once we were not a people, but now we are yours. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have mercy so that we might declare your praises, that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, Father. Help us to declare your praises to a crooked and perverse generation, Father, that we find ourselves in. Father, thank you that you meet all of our needs. No matter what it is, you meet our needs with your provision because you are the all-sufficient God, Father, the I Am, and Lord, how we need you. So we cry out to you and we lift up those in our church family who are in great need and we trust you to provide in your timing. Father, thank you for giving some answers to the Brodericks for Briggs. Thank you that they found this issue with his iron and that they are helping improve his health. Uh, the doctors are able to help improve his health this way. Please, Father, we cry out to you to give Marley strength to make difficult decisions for herself and her children. And Father, thank you so much for how you've been at work with Walter and for Jeannie and Ruby, how you have strengthened them and equipped them to help him in, in his hard work of rehab, Father. We pray you would strengthen him. 
during this time. As he works hard, we pray your healing hand would also restore the nerves and the muscles that they once again would work as they should and can. Lord, we also lift up Jason, Father. We love him so much and ask that you would please protect him and bring relief and encouragement, Lord, as he waits on you and he waits on answers from the doctors, Lord. Help them to see what they need to see from all these different tests. And Father, how we also lift up Myra and, and her desire to carry out her duties at work as unto you and for your glory. Protect and strengthen her boss so that the boss would not be overextended, Lord. Thank you that you can equip us to do your work. We lift up Court and Tabitha, Father, as they continue to ask for prayer of this continued court proceedings. Lord, you rule and reign, and we trust you to be at work in, in this case. And we ask you, Father, we urgently ask you, Father, to show favor that the stability of these precious twins could remain in their care. And Lord, we also want to thank you and praise you for Andreas and Daniela and their new granddaughter, Father. Thank you for protecting the mama and also strengthen baby Layla. Lord, we... <clears throat> We thank you that whatever our need, again, Father, that you are so faithful to meet them with your provision. And, Father, we do not make these requests based on anything of who we are, nothing of us, of our any righteousness. But, Father, we make these requests based on your great mercy and your steadfast love for us that we can have such confidence in. Thank you, Lord, that you are always at work to fulfill your purposes whether we see it with our eyes or not. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. And Lord, we celebrate 50 years that you've given us at Fellowship, well, not us personally, but you've given Fellowship Bible Church to this community for 50 years. And we thank you and praise you for those that followed your leading to begin this fellowship. We thank you for the pastors and teachers and leaders that you have brought to fellowship over the years. And Father, we consider ourselves so blessed to be able to worship you together here, to grow in our faith because of the good teaching. Please continue, Lord, this good work that you have begun and lead us in further outreach to make you known, Father. And just now, as always, we pray to open our eyes to see what you have for us today. Give us ears to hear, Father, we pray. And we make this prayer in the name of our King Jesus, now under the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Um, let's have kids sit tight for a minute. We are actually going to leave the kids in service just for a few more minutes because we've got some kids joining me on stage. So the families that are coming to dedicate your children... Go ahead and make your way up here and join me on stage. We've got uh, four families this morning bringing five different children um, to us. And so just uh, parents and children, siblings included, can, can come on up here. And as they, as they get in place, I'll remind you guys about what we do when we do infant or child dedication. This is a, a, a commitment that goes multiple different ways. Um, first and foremost, the parents are making a commitment 
to God, but they're making it to God in the presence of a church family. And as they're making a commitment to God to raise their children to know Christ and to follow Christ, they're making it in the presence of you as witnesses, and therefore it's a commitment to all of you as well. But I'm also going to ask you to make a commitment to them in the presence of God, that you would be their partners, that you would be encouraging the parents, the children, praying for parents and children, and serving in this church so that these children can grow up knowing Christ and seeing how to follow Christ with good examples, good teaching, and good discipleship. So we'll go through the families just as they um, lined up, and Chase Benjamin Ray Silver is first. That's this little guy over here. This is Big Brother Alexander with um, his parents, Travis and Amanda, and they chose um, the scriptures to be read over Chase to be 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And, first, and John 1, 4, uh, 1 John 1, 4, I have no greater love than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And uh, Travis, Amanda, and, and Chase, and Alexander are here supported by grandparents as well um, that are out here. We always are grateful for special guests that we have to join with us on, on days like this. But uh, as we pray, what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce each child read some scriptures over them, and then we're going to pray for all of them at the end. So I'll move down here. Um, next in line is uh, Miss Anna Marcelli with her parents, um, Aaron and Katie, and they're having two children dedicated before the Lord today. First is Miss Anna Catherine, and then uh, James Boston Marcelli, who um, Katie is holding over there. Um, and their verses, Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And Anna gave that a thumbs up. <laughs> this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And they've got some family and friends here. A grandfather, Tim Ball. Great-grandmother, Betty Withrow. Uh, aunt and uncle, Miller and Courtney Ball. Cousins, Lily and Ella Ball. And Anna's special friends, Sandra Lenenthal, Kaki Elemento, and Mia Gordon are all here. You got excited when I said those names, didn't you? Yeah, thumbs up. <laughs> so this is Miss Erin Catherine and James Boston with their parents, Erin um, and Katie Marcelli. And then who we got next here? I'm going to come all the way over here, uh, we'll, but we'll do the Marchmans next. Um, or here. AJ, get out of the way. Erin um, Radford Marchman is asleep over here, so I'll keep it down a little bit. Um, but uh, Aaron is here with uh, his parents, Jeremy and Candace, and um, older siblings, Jamie Lynn, Andrew, and Jordan. Um, and uh, Andrew was um, just born in December of last year. He's coming up on a year, and their verses for him. They have grandparents here as well supporting um, Aaron. And their verses for Andrew, or for Aaron, sorry. Um, Andrew, you're, you, I'll pray for you too along the way. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, Psalm 91, 14 through 15. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Okay, then over here, we have Miss Amelia Grace Hooper with AJ and Carson. 
and um, they have uh, family over here. We've got um, grandparents, um, Todd and Shelly Helms. We've got grandparents, Rick and Sandy Hooper. We've got uh, Aunt Libby um, Delosier and um, cousin Liam Delosier. We've got Will Hooper, um, uncle over here, and we've got some more uh, family watching online. But um, this is Miss Amelia Grace, and their scriptures for her are Colossians 1, 9 through 12. So from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Okay, so now um, comes the repeat after me portion. Um, I'm going to ask them a couple of questions, and I'm going to ask all of you a couple of questions. And uh, essentially, two, qu two questions for you parents to get us started. And the response to both of these would just be, we will. You will say in unison, we will. And uh, then I'll turn to you, church, ask you two questions, and your proper response would then be, we will. Okay, first, parents. Parents, will you commit to raise your children in a way that encourages them to know God and love Him with all their heart, soul, and might? Parents, will you commit to partner with this body of believers by encouraging your children to engagement with other believers for teaching, encouragement, and service? Okay, now church. Church, will you commit to these parents to pray for them, encourage them, mentor them, and equip them as they seek to fulfill their commitment as parents? Church, then will you commit to these children to pray for them, encourage them, mentor them, and equip them to know God, love Him, and follow Him? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray your blessing over each of these families and over each of these children. Uh, Father, for Miss Amelia Grace, we praise you for her life. We praise you for her smile and her joy and for um, bringing her to um, AJ and Carson. And we pray over her that, Father, she would um, live a life of endurance and patience and be presented fully pleasing to you because of her belief and knowledge of the gospel, that she would be numbered with the saints in light that, Father, you would make 1 Corinthians 1, 9 through 12 true of her, and that she would be a light in the Hooper household. And, Father, for Aaron, God, we praise you for him, and we praise you for um, Jeremy and Candace bringing another beautiful blessing into their home. We thank you for older siblings, for Jamie, Andrew, and Jordan. Father, I pray for all six of the Marshmans that you would bless them that you would grow them as a family, as each of these children grow in the knowledge and understanding of you. And particularly for Aaron, Father, we praise you with Psalm 91, 14, that you have rescued him and protected him. And Father, in the end, we pray that Aaron will name the name of Jesus and you will rescue him from all his sins. He will call on you and he will follow you. We pray your blessing over Aaron and his family. And Father, for the Marcellis, for Anna, God, I thank you that for Anna, loving people is not a challenge. And we see in her smile right now 
that she knows exactly how to follow your command to love her neighbor as herself. Father, we pray that the joy and love that we see in her would continue to grow in the years ahead, that she would bring joy to her family and joy to those around her. And for James, Father, we pray the same, that both James and Anna would fall in love with you first, would know you and your love for them, and they would love you with their heart, and that they would then respond and love others. We thank you for big sisters Leah and Hattie. We pray your blessing over them too and over Aaron and Katie as they lead their family well. And Father, for Chase, we praise you for little Chase. And Father, we thank you for another blessing for the Silver family, for Travis and Amanda. We thank you for big brother Alexander. We pray that Chase would live out the truth of 1 Corinthians 16, 14, that all that he does would be done in love. Love for you, love for his family, and love for others. We pray that you would strengthen Travis and Amanda as they go about the diligent work of parenting and of leading their children well. Father, we pray your blessing over little Chase and over the whole family. And Father, for this church, we pray your blessing to continue over us as a family, over the ministries that we minister to children. Father, we pray that we would walk in wisdom to teach these kids well, disciple these kids well, and to partner with the parents in that effort that they may come to know you, to follow you, and to share the beauty of your gospel with others. We pray your blessing over all the kids in the church. And as they go to kids' worship, Father, I pray they have a great time. I pray they learn a lot and they come to know Jesus. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And thank you all, parents, for joining me up here. And all kids can now be dismissed. Yeah, amen. So preschool through fifth grade can go ahead and head to the lobby and head upstairs for kids' worship. Um, that's always one of the funnest things to do in service. Uh, next week, we'll have a baptism in service. We have at least four people being baptized next week. Um, if you want to be added to the list, if you have questions about what baptism is all about, please come and talk to me. Um, talk to me after the service today or call me sometime this week. I would love to talk more about it. Um, I know we'll have at least one more baptism date. Besides next Sunday, we'll have at least one more um, this year. We also have one more baby dedication date. You think, well, we, did, we had five um, kids dedicated a couple weeks ago. We had five today. We've got at least four more that are going to be dedicated on November 6th. There's just a lot of kids um, at this stage. And so if you want to be included in that, we would love to include you in that. A um, few other things to know about going on in the life of the church. Um, this week, our office is going to be, for the most part, closed and that's because we've got some carpet that is being changed out in the lobby and office area really over the next couple of weeks. But we're going to go ahead and close the office for this week. We'll still be available to you. Uh, you can call cell phones or email to get a hold of the church staff. We may be in and out of the office some, but because um, there's, there's going to be carpet removal all over the place, we're not sure what access we'll have to different areas at different times. We're just going to kind of officially close the office, but no, your staff is still working either from another room on campus or, um, or from home, and we're all available to you this week. 
Um, our fall festival is November the 6th um, from 4 to 7 p.m., and that will be here on our property. We'd love for you to be here and join us for that. That will be um, something that would be great to invite others too as well. We want to serve our community well with that. We still need some volunteers. You can talk to um, Rika or AJ if you want to be involved in um, helping make that happen. Tonight we have um, kids ministry, youth ministry, life groups all on campus at 5.30 this evening. Um, there's some uh, life groups that are kind of just kicking off that it would be a great time to join or visit a life group tonight. If you, if you want to know more about our life group ministry, um, the the Williams group is starting, I think I told you a couple weeks ago, they're starting a study on how Christians um, respond to technology and what we need to know and be aware of and be careful about as it relates to technology and living the Christian life. Um, it's going to be a great study. I'd encourage you with that. But then Higgins group, the Winter Hobby group, the um, Pascal group, there's several groups that are meeting um, this evening on campus as well as a couple that meet before service on Sunday morning. And then um, lastly, just a special Acknowledgement, and not everybody gets this kind of shout out, but some people um, get special shout outs. Um, today is Jim Wells' 90th birthday. So we just wanted to acknowledge that and congratulate. He's here with us this, this morning. He's angry with me now, but, um, but as, you, as you go out, congratulate him. on a, He's a pillar of our church. He's a, a life well lived, a great witness to many of us. So happy birthday, Jim. I, I was not sure if Dan would leave my mic on if I sung, so I, <laughs> given the risk, I just didn't. Uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I got a thumbs up from the booth for not singing into the microphone, by the way, if you all know what they think about me. 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to continue to focus on what Christ says about his church because it, it really is his church. And as we seek to lead the church that Christ has entrusted to us, uh, these last few weeks that we've been in 1 Timothy, and we've got a few weeks ahead in 1 Timothy, one of the things we're continually reminding ourselves of is that we as, as church leaders and church members are entrusted with this sacred deposit that's the illustration that is so powerfully true in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. All three of these books put together, often called the pastoral epistles. Three or two young men, three letters to two young men who are called to make decisions, to organize plans for local churches in two different cities. Ephesus is Timothy and uh, Titus is in Crete. And in all of these, what Paul, the author of all three letters, is telling these young men, you have been given a sacred duty, and you don't get to just make it up as you go. You don't get to just rewrite the script to do church however you want. There are some things that you have some creative freedom over, for sure, but there are other aspects of the local church that God defines. And, and in the coming weeks, we'll see how God defines um, the leadership for the church. 
And, and God's definitions of leadership are much more important than figuring out man's definitions of what is and is not, who is and who is not a good leader. And today, God defines for us who we should pray for and why. This is a great example in this passage, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7, of how God wants us to be praying in a local church. Now, we have um, booklets out in, on this table in the back of the room here, and there's some out in the lobby that are called 50 Days of Prayer Guides because we have asked you to join with us in praying for the 50 days leading up until our 50th anniversary in November. And I hope that, you would, um, that you've all grabbed one of those. If not, please grab one today. We have more available, and we can always print more. But one of the things we sought to do is to commemorate 50 years of gospel ministry, of faithful Bible teaching, of discipleship, of mission sending and mission focus. We want to commemorate 50 years with 50 days of prayer leading up to that because we want to see what God does in the next generation of the church. But in, in that prayer guide, you'll see different focuses that we pray for missions, and this is Missions Week, or we, we pray for our nation, or we pray for our local community, or whatever it is. There are different focuses in the different weeks. 1 Timothy 2, Paul addresses the prayer ministry of the local church and of the individual Christian. So the question is, what should be our priorities in prayer? Who should we pray for? Why do we pray? And here comes Paul's answer in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now here Paul tells Timothy, you've got to pray. And here, let's just be real here. One of the hardest things to do as a young believer, and sometimes even as a seasoned believer who's been walking with Christ for a number of years, is to really devote yourself to prayer and to learn how do I pray well and how do I pray long? Like how do I really invest myself into praying for other people, praying for missions, praying for the world? I think if we're honest, we all struggle with that at least a little bit because you read verses that say in the scriptures that you should pray without ceasing. And you're like, I don't know how to do that. How do I pray without ceasing when I'm my mind is constantly distracted by all of these other things I've got going on. Or what are my priorities in prayer? Should I pray for people that are sick? Should I pray for people that are hurt? Should I pray for people in leadership positions? That seems to be the focus of this passage. Should I pray for people to come to Jesus? And, and here's one of the questions. We deal with this when people submit prayer requests to the church all the time. What should I pray for? Should I pray for somebody to receive ultimate healing? Should I pray for just 
comfort in the midst of this difficult disease that somebody is facing? How bold should my prayers be? Do I pray for radical life change or do I pray for just minutia of life change? If somebody, if somebody, let's say, somebody's in a huge relational rupture between, let's say, parent and child, do you pray for a radical restoration of that relationship or do you just pray for things to get a little bit better and to be at peace? Those are hard questions to know how are we engaging in this battle that God calls us to. And then there's the question of prayer. Why does, why does it even matter? If God is truly sovereign, if God is in control, if God's will is so strong, then why do we engage in prayer at all? Don't we just sit back, write it out, see what happens, and react to things as they come? Is there really a need for us to engage in prayer? Well, in response to that comes Paul's answer here in this passage. First of all, I urge you. To, to back up a little bit, let me remind you what, verse, what chapter 1 of 1 Timothy says. Chapter 1 is a greeting, it's sort of a welcoming, it's Paul gives the theme and the reason for writing. The reason that Paul is writing this letter is that there's a problem with false teaching in Ephesus. People, specifically, that false teaching is coming from people that really like God's law. And as they really like God's law, they're trying to impose God's law onto people and minimizing the grace of God in, in that action. And as they minimize the grace of God and oppress people with the law of God and misapply the law of God, Paul calls them out for not even understanding what they're talking about. So Paul's focus is in this letter, let's, let's hear this correctly, Paul's focus is to do battle through the letter. Paul's focus is to, is to name out teachings that are wrong. And even in just a few verses right before here, the verse right before the verse I just read, the last verse in chapter 1, Paul names names. He names two false teachers by name, Hymenaeus and Alexander. They've been handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So Paul's extended introduction is all about we've got a problem with false teaching in Ephesus. We've got to address it. We've got to be clear about what the gospel is. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, he starts out. Okay, here's the first step in addressing false teaching. Pray. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people. First question to ask here is, uh, you know, Paul is basically, let's, let's do it this way. Let's unpack it with two calls and three explanations. Paul's calling us to two things in this passage. He's calling Timothy, he's calling the church of Ephesus, and he's calling the church of Dalton, Georgia in 2022. He's calling us to pray, he's calling us to live lives of godliness. And then he's going to give us three explanations as to why. The first call to pray there's four types of prayer he mentions. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. You, you can ask yourself, well, is that different types of prayer? Um, each of those words um, is different in the original language. The New Testament was written in Greek. There are four different Greek words, just like there's four different English words. Do they have different meanings? Sort of. Supplications refers to uh, making requests for specific needs. Um, prayers is um, praying for, for more general needs. 
Uh, intercession is praying specifically on behalf of other people. That's the word for intercession. Um, you're interceding for somebody who, who is not praying for themselves or you're, you're um, standing with them in prayer. And then there's thanksgiving. All of these relate to people. You're not thanking God for things in this passage. He's calling for thankfulness uh, towards people. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now, this gets a little bit uncomfortable when you start thinking about who all, what does all people mean? And you're going to think about all, all people. All people means all people, right? And, and he said, okay, now listen. It's one thing to say we should pray for all people, right? But it's another thing to say we should offer specific supplications, general prayers, intercessions on behalf, and prayers of thanksgiving for all people. Y'all, that's really hard. That passage just said you should be thankful for all people. Are you thankful for all people? We don't need a show of hands. I know you're not. It's, we're humans. I get it. There are certainly some people that are hard to pray for, that you know you should pray for, but may be hard to pray for at times. But in this, what Paul is challenging us to do is to not just begrudgingly pray for those people that you don't like. Remember, Matthew 5 said we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so as we pray for those who persecute you, Paul's going even farther than that to say you pray prayers of thanksgiving even for those who cause you great harm. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving for everyone. In particular, he says, so first he says everyone, and then he clarifies to say for kings and for all that are in authority. So who should we pray for? We pray for everyone. We pray for leaders. We pray for those who have governing authority over people. Why do we do that? Because we want to be able to, in the second half of verse 2, live peaceful, quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. Our prayer, and get this, in verse 2, this is such an important verse. 1 Timothy 2.2. 2. This is how we pray for leaders. This is, this is why we pray for leaders. This is the paradigm for praying for leaders. We pray for governmental leaders so that God's church will be enabled to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We pray specifically for governmental leaders, nationally, locally, globally, to lead in such a way that God's kingdom is able to function as God's kingdom. Worship in peace, live godly lives, and be dignified and, and, and uh, quiet in every way. Not quiet in that we don't preach the gospel. No, no, no. We want the church to preach the gospel. But we don't want for the governing leaders to be against the church. That's what we pray against. But we pray for them, for their good. Notice that Paul is here giving us instruction to pray for kings and all in leadership, all in positions of authority, in a period of time in which there is no Christian in any of those positions. Paul specifically says, pray for all people, pray for kings, knowing full well that he was telling them to pray for kings that were not following Jesus. Knowing full well that all others in authority were also not following Jesus. 
The great persecution of the early church had not started as Paul was writing this, but it was coming soon. And it would come under the emperor Nero, who was already on the throne as Paul was writing this to Timothy. As you look back on how the early church has interpreted this prayer, I'm going to read to you a couple things. Clement of Rome, one of the early church fathers, he wrote a letter to the Corinthian church. This is not a New Testament letter. This is in, in, uh, years later. But in the, to the Corinthian church, Clement of Rome said, Grant the leaders, meaning the governmental leaders, the governors of Corinth, grant them, Lord, health, peace, harmony, and stability, so that they may give no offense in administering the government you have given them. What Clement means by no offense is that the government leaders would lead the government in such a way that it would not stop or hinder the ministry of the church. So, Father, give them health, bless them, non-Christians and Christians alike who are in positions of authority over humans. But, Father, bless them, and may they live in such a way as to not hinder the work of the gospel. Tertullian, another, in about A.D. 200, wrote, We pray also for the emperors, for the ministers and all those in power, that their reign may continue, and that the state may be at peace, and that the end of the world may be postponed. John Stott would say in response to this, the church and state here have reciprocal duties in this passage. The church is to pray for the state and to be the conscience of the state. And the state is to protect the church and allow it to perform its duties. That's what we pray for when we pray for governing leaders. So as, as the church represents its divine authority and divine origin in a community, we pray for governing leaders to allow us to worship and to act freely as the body of Christ. As citizens of the United States of America, yes, but ultimately as eternal citizens of the kingdom of God. Knowing that our citizenship in the kingdom of God transcends our temporary citizenship as American citizens. And so, yes, we, we pray for the health and the well-being of our nation, and we pray for the continuance, for the blessing, for the expansion of God's kingdom, that the governors of this nation would allow this kingdom to continue to expand with our greater loyalty over here. So who should we pray for? Again, we pray for everybody. We pray specifically for governing leaders, and that's how we pray. The governing leaders would act in righteousness and in justice, and that governing leaders would allow the church to function as the church should. We pray for leaders of our churches to function as the church should. But also, we pray for our friends. We pray for our families. We pray for our enemies. We pray for those who have wronged us and those who have persecuted us. But why? Verse 2, so that we may lead a quiet, peaceful life godly and dignified in every way. Romans 12:18 says so far as it depends on you seek to live at peace with everyone. This is Paul saying the same thing again. Romans 12:18, 1 Timothy 2:2 2, 2, basically say the same thing. That as much as you are able, you son or daughter of God, you are called to live at peace. You are called to perceive, to to pursue peace with everyone. To live lives that are full of peace and quiet godliness and dignified. To, be, to live a quiet life doesn't mean you don't speak up. Doesn't mean you don't speak up for the truth of the gospel. 
doesn't mean you don't defend the cause of Christ to those that will, that will blaspheme the name of Jesus. It does mean that we don't have to answer every single charge against us. As believers who are justified by God and who at the end of all days will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we need not feel that we have to answer every charge that a sinful and fallen world throws at us. Because in the end, we recognize that God is the judge and vengeance belongs to him. And, and we who are in Christ will be rewarded in the end and, and many of us will stand before the throne of God and see and see and recognize I, I did. We'll see the mistakes that we made pass before us. We'll recognize, I missed that one. I messed that one up. But those who are saved by Christ will be saved and, and welcomed into the kingdom in the end. And those that harm us, that speak ill of us, that lie about us, they're not our problem. God is the great judge who will judge them in the end. So a quiet life doesn't answer every charge. A godly life remembers that God is the judge and you don't have to be, and boy, do you not want to be. You don't want the pressure of judging yourself and everybody else because as harshly as you judge, you will be judged that harshly in return. All will be made new in the end. And then finally, to be dignified. We're to pray supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings for all people. And we're to live lives that are peaceful, quiet, godly, and dignified. Dignified means that you live your life outwardly in such a way that, that people look at you and they see a life that is worthy of honor, that is worthy of respect. Now, Paul uses this um, as a definition for leadership later in um, 1 Timothy and in, 2 Timothy, or in, in Titus. But as he uses that, we remember that Paul is writing into these contexts of fallen sinfulness. Christians will not always appear dignified to a fallen world who has different priorities for what is a, a right and righteous life. Increasingly, we're seeing more and more that for Christians to stand for the truth of what we believe about things like gender and sexuality, that we will now be labeled not as dignified but as judgmental. And I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying you have to meet the world's definition of what good is, of what dignified is. But we meet God's definition, that in accordance with God's law and God's standards, we as Christians, and particularly those of us who stand as leaders within the church, are called to be living lives of honor, to set the example of respectability. All Christians are called to live worthy of the gospel, and to live worthy of the esteem of those outside. So that's why we pray. Three more explanations of why God says everybody. Because you might ask the question, why am I spending so much time praying for wicked governmental leaders? Why am I praying so much time praying for um, my enemies? Why am I spending so much time praying for these, these problems? Why can't I just spend my time on good stuff? Verse 3. This is good. It's good to pray for all people. It is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The three explanations for why we pray for all people are God's desired, God's unified work, and God's call on us. God is pleased by our prayers for the lost. 
God is pleased by our prayers for governing leaders. God is pleased by our prayers for our friends. God is pleased by our prayers for our family. Our prayers, the prayers of God's people, are a sweet aroma to him. He loves to hear them. He loves to experience them. They do move his heart. Guys, this is a hard question. How do you deal with the fact that God is sovereign and God calls us to pray? I don't have all of the answers, but I know what is explicitly clear. And what is explicitly clear is both. That God is the sovereign judge. God is the king of all the universe. God is in control of everything that has ever happened in this universe. Everything that's ever happened to you and everything that ever will happen to you, God knows, understands, and he maintains control over all those forces. And he still asks you to pray that things would change. And so what we do is we take God at face value. And, and there, there, are, there are logical difficulties with that. I understand that. But we take God at face value and we do what he is asking us to do. And we pray because the God who is sovereign over all the universe has told us to pray. And he has told us that there is value in the words that we speak. But sometimes we don't pray those big prayers because we think, well, that's, that's probably not going to happen. We don't pray the prayers for every nation, tongue, and tribe to come to Christ because we're not sure we're ever going to be able to see it even though God promised that it would happen. We don't pray the prayers for, for the person that looks so, so far gone. We don't pray the prayer for them to come and receive Christ and be transformed because we think they're so far gone. But God is calling us, pray those big prayers. God is pleased by our prayers. God is pleased by our godly living. And God's desire is that all be saved. We know, the problem with this is that we know not all are saved, but God does desire that his people operate as if any person we come into contact with on any given day may be saved. The potential for salvation is there to anyone and to everyone. And our call is to be faithful in that mission and to treat everyone as an eternal soul that needs to be cultivated and saved and brought to the knowledge of the truth. God's work is unified in this. God doesn't just desire that all are saved. God works together, Father, Son, Spirit, in a unified work to provide the way for that to happen. Verse 5 says, There is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. One God and one mediator, Jesus, who is both man and Messiah. And as man and Messiah, he is the perfect mediator, and he is the perfect one to give that payment. Verse 6 speaks of a payment. A ransom is a payment. God paid for the sins. Jesus paid for the sins of the lost. And it says there in verse 6 that he gave himself as a ransom for all. What do we do with the fact that not all are saved? We recognize the fact that not all receive that sacrifice. Not all receive that gift that Jesus has given. And guys, this is the dire warning part of today's message. That we can't just make assumptions about what it means to, to be in a church and therefore to be in a church or to be in a Christian family or to be in a Christian area or a Christian school or whatever it is that you affiliate yourself with. That does not, that does not achieve for you Christ paying the ransom for your sin. Any sort of outward affiliation. Those aren't bad things. Those are great. 
Join, join a church. I hope you're in a family of believers. I hope you, you can participate with other Christians in some way. I hope you can serve in some way. That doesn't make you a Christian. That doesn't achieve the payment for you to be freed from your sins. The only way to be taken from the place of guilty, guilty before the judgment seat of Christ, to be moved to the position of not guilty, is for Jesus' blood to be poured out for you, for the payment for your sins to be paid by Jesus and only by Jesus. It is the only way. And the way to receive it is the way of repentance, to confess that I am a sinner, that I have held on to my sin, that I've tried to pursue uh, righteousness, godliness, I've tried to earn favor with God by some means other than Christ's righteousness, and that has been a failure. You confess your sins. You believe in Christ as Savior. You ask Him to save you and to attribute His blood to you for your salvation. And when that happens, that payment that Christ offered for all is then attributed to you. It's offered for all, only attributed to those who actually believe, to those whose hearts are enlivened by the work of the Holy Spirit and come to respond in faith and receive the grace of God. So he gave himself as a ransom for all, but that doesn't mean all receive it without any response. Brothers and sisters, make no assumption about yourself, about anyone in your life that you care about. Make the gospel explicit and clear. There are many who will come before Christ at the end and say, didn't I go to Fellowship Bible Church? Didn't I join this small group? Didn't I do that, that um, service project? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. We have to make the gospel clear. Verse 7, finally. For this, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. Telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Sometimes we miss that word Gentiles because we just get used to it being there and we forget what it means. Um, the, the word Gentiles actually is better translated as nations. And it is sort of a technical term. It's anybody that's not a Jew in the New Testament. But when, when Paul says he's a teacher of the nations, of the ethnos, what he is saying there is, he is bringing the gospel to everybody. It's again, the inclusiveness of the gospel is on display all through this passage. Jesus wants to save everybody. He, and because, and that's the ultimate cause of all of this. Everything in this passage centers around God's desire to save everybody. Why do you pray for everybody? Because God wants to save everybody. Why does Paul go to everybody? Because God wants to save everybody. The center of this whole passage today is that God's desire is that all are saved. We know that all are not saved. We know that some will face eternal conscious punishment in this place called hell that is real and is terrible. And because of that, we seek to enable people to avoid hell and to receive the beautiful life that is heaven by proclaiming the true gospel to them. Paul was called as an apostle. All now are called to make disciples. Every single one of us who has decided to follow Jesus is now called to bring somebody else along in that pursuit. And so how are you going to do it? How are you going to bring somebody along in this pursuit? We'll wrap it up this way. 
Three words as we conclude. Pray, live, and share. I've asked you before, if every prayer that you have prayed in the last month was suddenly answered, what would change about the world? Would the world change, or just the little space around you change just a little bit for the better? Think about every prayer you've prayed in the last month. Is it just for your health, for your loved ones, for your good, for your job, for your prosperity? Or would, if God suddenly came in and answered every prayer you've prayed over the whole month, would the world change? Those are the kind of prayers we're called to pray for all people. But we're also called not just to pray for all people, we're called to live as examples and as lights for all people. We're called to live lives of dignity, of godliness, of peace and quiet. Christians don't quake at the state of the world. Christians don't shake in fear and anxiety, wondering what comes next. Because Christians are able to, to stay anchored to this beautiful truth that whatever may come, we are anchored by our hope in Christ. A sure and steadfast anchor for the souls is what, is what Hebrews tells us. And so whatever challenges face us, we can live lives of stability and dignity in the midst of it all because Christ has made us new and Christ has saved us. And finally, as I invite the band to, to go ahead and get in place behind me, we are called now to share. To pray, to live, and to share. And what we share is this beautiful truth of what Paul has said in verse 7. This, this, this beautiful truth that Paul has been commissioned on this endeavor. He has been sent in this direction to go to the nations, to go to all for the purpose of the life and the salvation of all people. And here we are, brothers and sisters, with the, this opportunity. And so... I'll just say it like this. Every single one of us has somebody that we love dearly, that has walked away from Christ, that is living a life pursuing the world, that we're tempted to, to maybe give up on. We're, we're asking this question, is it, is it worth it anymore to keep pursuing that relationship, to keep praying and I'm going to tell you right now, this, this scripture today is calling us to pray those big prayers, those bold prayers. And just like everyone uh, has somebody in their life that is not pursuing Christ, that you desperately want to turn around, everybody has someone in their life where you recognize your relationship with them is not where you want it to be. And you want it to be restored. You want it to improve. And, and now's the time to pray a big prayer for that person too, for that reconciliation too. Everybody has a burden in their life that they're carrying. Some level of brokenness, some level of shame, some past trauma, some past hurt that you don't know if you can get rid of, you don't know if you can release. And God's again calling us to pray the big prayer, to see lives changed, to see relationships restored, and to see burdens lifted. Let's stand. We'll worship together.
Hallelujah. 
Father, at this stage, there's just not much else to say, but we glory in you because you are good. You are sovereign. You have created all things. You have loved us. You have desired all to come to a knowledge of you. And, you, and we praise you for this global gospel that you have given to us to proclaim, to love, to preach, to disciple, to protect, to steward May we share it freely now, Father. May we see your glory in our lives as we seek to pray boldly for the transformation we long to see. We love you, Father. Amen. Now receive the blessing from the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.